This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 884 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Greetings, horse people. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is from Christy and Dr. Jones of thehorse.com to talk about designing stalls and barns for your horse's health. And we'll get right to our tip after this from Fleeceworks. Did you know it's not just your saddle that can cause pressure points on your horse's back? A poorly fitted saddle pad can do your horse harm, too. That's why Fleeceworks developed its exclusive FXK technology. Unlike old-fashioned pad with a hole in the withers, which may or may not lie where your horse's withers are and features thick double layers right where it shouldn't, FXK is designed expressly to provide your horse protection through his entire top line. And all of Fleeceworks pads are made from pure merino sheepskin and merino sheep's wool to provide a low bulk pad that offers the best thermal balancing properties available. No matter what discipline you ride, Fleeceworks has a saddle pad for your horse. So ask for Fleeceworks by name at your local tax supplier, or you can find them online at fleeceworks.com. Well, this is Glenn McGeek and Jamie Jennings and Jennifer H. back with you here on Horses in the Morning. We have a segment coming up we do every Wednesday about this time, and we have Christy on with us from the horse, and she's doing her horse health weekly report with thehorse.com. Hi, Christy. Hi, Glenn. How are you doing? We're doing great. How are you doing on this fine Wednesday? I am doing very well. And I'm looking forward to our show today where we're talking a little bit about healthy barns and stalls. If you got the memo. Okay, cool. All right, yes, <laughs> we, I, did. Uh, <laughs> I got the memo this morning. Ah, very good. Very good. So to start off with, I thought, uh, you know, we've, we've all got some things. If we've had any horses in barns at all, we probably all can think of those things that we had. You know, God, I wish that bucket wasn't on the other side of the stall. Or, gee, I wish that feeder was at a better height. I could barely reach it. Or, you know, this latch that was always snagging your pocket as you walk, or your shoulder as you walked by. And there, there are a number of little things like that. But there are also a lot of things that can make them help, more healthy for our horses. And I'd like to start by uh, talking with Aaron, uh, with Dr. Danny Jones, about uh, just base. Let's just start with size. What's the the best size of stall for a horse? The size that, build, that barn builders have are 10 by 10. That's 10 foot by 10 foot. But I find those to be too small. I think that's been based off of, uh, you know, the quarter horse sized horse. Uh, I find the 11 by 11 is a little bit better. And then, of course, there's foaling stall sizes, which are 10 by 16. Gotcha. And so for a draft horse, then, you would recommend something even a little bit bigger? Yeah, 12 by 12 would be great for them. <laughs> and then you also have to consider the size of the doorway so they don't ding their head going into the doorway. We had a percher on that was about 18-2, and I think 14 by 14 was too small. So <laughs> he actually did get cast. He actually did get cast in the stall one day, and that was an interesting thing because we, the two of us, couldn't do anything about it. Jennifer and I, we could. He was had the weight a ton. 
so we had to go next door to the plumbing shop and get all these pe- plumbers that knew nothing about horses to come over, and we tied ropes around, and we, we were afraid when we rolled him over that he was going to, you know, freak out and get up real fast and, you know, squish us in the stall. But uh, <laughs> he didn't. We rolled him over, and he laid there and went, okay, this is where I wanted to be anyway, and he stayed there for a while, and then he got up. So. Oh, can I pop a, a comment in on that, on a draft horse in the stall? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I um, had draft horses in temporary stalls, and uh, they were rubbing their tails. And basically, they just improved the stall size for themselves, because they pulled <laughs> off the center of the temporary stalls just from rubbing their tails. It bowed out and eventually popped the wall that held the walls between the two stalls. <laughs> awesome. A, one, a one-ton beast will do that. <laughs> yes, yes. They're a little bit uh, mischievous on stalls, I'll tell you that. I don't imagine well, they're easy we- on them. <laughs> ten by ten seems awful small for for any horse. The pony that we rescued was in a ten by ten stall for over a year without ever being let out of it. And um, unfortunately, you know, he has no muscle, no tone at all. And he was very excited to be turned out in the pasture for the first time. So ten by ten, even for our little pony, was very small. So uh, our stalls right now are twelve by twenty four because we're just lucky enough to have some big panels put together uh, for our outdoor Arizona type barn. But I, I certainly would think. 10 by 10 would be small, and 14 by 14, Glenn, for a 2,000-pound horse would be a little limiting as well. I think you made a great, great point oh, there, Jamie, that if a 10 by 10 stalls one thing when they're in for, okay, bring them in for an hour to eat, put them back out, that's yeah. easy peasy. But when they're yeah. in 24-7, um, boy, oh, boy, they need some leg room. Yes, yeah, I agree with that. And you'll find in the, the barn building books, 10 by 10 seems to be the, the um, usual recommendation, but I think it's exactly for that reason. Come in, eat, and go back out. I think, too, there's yeah. the issue of having enough space to work around the horse if you do very much with them in the stall. You know, you want to have a little bit of room for yourself as well. Yeah. yeah. Amen. Right. <laughs> so, Glenn, regarding your story of getting cast, um, actually, Aaron, what, what would your suggestions be for uh, tips on, on setting up your stall wall height or, or depth or anything to help keep horses from getting cast in the box? <laughs> there is no foolproof for keeping them from getting cast, I hate to tell you. Um, <clears throat> as far as stall height or barriers, there um, would be based upon a, a stallion's being um, stalled next to another stallion. Um, <clears throat> if you have... Uh, warm bloods as opposed to Arabians, and you have a different height there. Uh, but you want to have breathe through or flow through, and you also want them to be able to see each other because they're gregarious animals, so they want to communicate to the, each other. The other thing is, too, is there's a boarding barn or is it your own personal barn? Boarding barns, they don't want to spread disease. One down is, you know, from stall to stall to stall, so they want to put a solid wall between them uh, because in case there's a horse that does come up with a snotty nose or something to affect uh, th- that would be easier to keep it confined. Gotcha. And what about uh, a safe height for the ceiling, if you don't happen to, ha- to have the ability to have it just a wide open to the to the far distant roof <laughs> capability? That one's a tough one. They usually store their hay above the stalls when they have a ceiling like that. And I'll say right off the bat, don't store your hay in your barn. That's a fire hazard that... Uh, is has been the primary reason for most fires in barns. I would say if they're going to have to do that, it would at least be 12 foot high ceiling to it at least. Again, if you're looking at draft horses or very large warm bloods, you'd have to consider going a bit higher or just use the rafters. 
I'll just say a goofy story about ceilings. Uh, we used to, I, I used to work and um, spend all, you know, most of my life when I was a kid growing up at a local stables, and we had about 60 horses and stables there. It was a trail and lesson barn and whatnot. And uh, the stalls outdoors were very open, you know, just you know, basic, basic two-by-four frame and the corrugated tin roofs. And we had a little um, walking horse cross pony stallion that was one of the goofiest animals I think I have ever run across. And he, he actually really liked the low ceiling in some of those stalls because when he'd get bored, he'd just pop rear and just repeatedly bang the top of his head into it. Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I must you think he was fun to I watch? Feel... You should have tried to ride him. <laughs> oh, no, no thanks. I feel like you're given the extreme minimums of requirements. I mean, saying 10 by 10 is, is a stall. I mean, yeah, if you can just bring him in and then turn him back out and then a 12-foot roof. I mean, I would give – I would say – make it more ideal as opposed to what you can get away with simply because you're if you're going to be building something it's going to be something that you're investing a lot of money into and you're going to want to be comfortable and you're going to want your animal to be comfortable so i would say you know add to your minimums there and make it bigger and make it more comfortable and expansive because you're going to have to live with it and your horses are going to have to live in it does that make sense Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. My stalls in my clinic are 12 by 12. Now, I bought the barn that way, but they're 12 by 12, and we have a rafter ceiling. So there is no ceiling to it, and that, I think, is the best preference because ventilation for cooling in the summertime and for wintertime moving the air out is so much better to have rafters because you want to have that air sucked up and pulled out under the eaves or if you have a, uh, what do they call it, the one that runs down the center that goes up into the cupolas, those are the best ventilation-type barns. As far as the size, 12 by 12, I think that's small. Personally, I would like to see a 14 by 14. All right. Yeah. Perfect. It's sort of, it's sort of like humans now. Everybody's looking for that big master bedroom, and there's a reason for that. Uh, <laughs> we, only, we, we could live in 10 by 10, but we don't. So, all right, well, let's talk about stall bedding because now there's so many different types of stall bedding out there. Uh, you know, it used to be we used straw. By the way, horse husbands hate straw bedding. I absolutely <laughs> despise straw bedding. I hated cleaning straw bedding. I hated everything about straw bedding as a horse husband. But, you know, now there's so many different types. Talk about that. The straw bedding, I agree with you. I'm, I'm on board with the horse husbands. I hate straw bedding. <laughs> The best thing about straw bedding, though, is for the babies. I recommend it for any foaling mare because as the babies come out, take their first few breaths, they can suck up the shavings immediately and stick them around their nose because their nose is all yeah. wet. So the straw bedding is basically almost not mandatory, but very highly recommended for foaling out mares and for the first week of life. After that, go back to your shavings. The shavings... Big thing, make sure there's no black walnut in your shavings. That causes laminitis. We don't know what the mechanism of action is, but then standing on black walnut shavings causes laminitis or founder. So you have to make sure that whatever mill you're getting it from, if you're getting it in bulk, does not have black walnut in it. Anything else beyond that goes to the dusty particles. How dusty is it in your barn? The smaller the particles are, the more dust you get. The larger the particles, the less absorption you get. So you kind of have a trade-off. So you kind of find something in between. Now, Aaron, you what mentioned you the black walnut. Sorry. I was at part of each question. Um, I said you, you mentioned black walnut. How would you know if you had black walnut in your shavings? It is very hard to determine in the shaving 
group. So you'd have to ask them their source of their shavings. The, the place I like to get mine from is a door-making facility here. They make door, uh, wooden doors, and they have no black walnut wooden doors. So that was real easy for me to find out. So, and that's where I get it bulk. Anything you get packaged at a feed store made for horses should not have black walnut in it anyway because that's a standard. I'm glad I'm sorry I didn't mean it. I was asking. Yeah, no problem. I was asking. It's your, it's your segment. I'm interrupting you. Uh, <laughs> I was asking about the pellet, the pelleted bedding. You know, is that, do you like it or? I'm not a big fan of it, but I've got a lot of clients that are. They seem to think that it does a great job absorbing. I, I kind of like the idea of if a horse is going to be in the stall for quite some time, it needs a little bit of softness to lay down on. Are you going to start getting those stall sores at their hocks and their elbows? It's just like a bed sore on a person who lays down and stays down too much. Getting up and down off of dirt and up and down off of rubber mats tends to rub those areas pretty raw. So I'm a big fan of having a little bit more bedding because they do lay down in their stalls. But if you're using it, again, just for running in to eat and running back out, the pelleted might work good for you. Yeah. And I think, too, it depends on what stage the pellets are in. You know, once they're grown up, once they've poofed, it's a little <laughs> bit better. But those first couple of days when they haven't poofed yet, um, you do have a it's, – it's, it must be sort of like laying on, uh, you know, laying on, on little pellets. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, if you – I've opened up the door here, too. Dirt floors, clay floors, rubber mats. Uh, yeah. As a personal preference on that, I like the rubber mats. They're easier to clean. In our veterinary world, if we're going to have rubber mats, we need to seal the, seal the creases of the rubber mats so that we can sterilize the floors between cases, especially at the clinics. Concrete floors work better because we can sterilize a lot better, but then again, they're a bit um, tougher on the horse to stand all day, and then lay down, you're definitely going to have to add more shavings on a concrete floor. The dirt and the clay, they're a little kinder to the horse's feet, but they're not very great for a veterinary clinic. They might be perfect for home. The only thing is soaping up the urine that they have urinated onto the clay or the dirt and keeping the ammonia smell down. Very good. And I w I'd like to make one more point about pellets. Um, we've got a blog on our website called Smart Horsekeeping, and um, Elaine Blickel of Horses for Clean Water is one of our authors on that. She actually did a post just within the last couple of weeks on bedding choices, and they actually use pellets quite a bit out at their farm in Idaho, but they tend to, whenever it's not super cold outside, they, they like to wet the pellets just a little bit first to get them to, as Glenn so eloquently put it, poof. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's, you're supposed to do that with the pellets. You really are supposed to wet them down when you first get them in there to get them activated, to get them started. Started. So, Very cool. Very good. Well, the next uh, topic I had on the list was, um, you know, something that uh, we talked about a little bit earlier as far as hay storage, but uh, hay storage, feed storage, um, security of anything that might be harmful to your horse. I think we talked about this a little bit last week, too, with the double barrier system, but I just wanted to bring it up again today. For yeah, I agree. The double barrier that. system is absolutely imperative, and that means... One barrier to get into the room where the feed and hay is being stored, and a second barrier for primarily the grain that the horse can't get into. And, it's, again, they're very simple. You can get a rubber barrel that has a screw top to them. Those are at Tractor Supply. You can, get the, you can have somebody just make you a four-sided bin with a lid, and you put a little clip on that, just your regular horse clips, and the horse can't get into it. Very, very simple uh, thing. Some people have done bungee cords over top of an aluminum trash can lid that's Fair enough, as long as they keep the bungee cord over the top of the trash can lid. <laughs> um, there's always human nature of, oh, I don't have time today, or I forgot, or things like that. Then as far as where to store it, it's easy to have it in the barn, especially in this cold winter. You want to go in the barn, you want to stay where it's warm, feed the horses, and get out. 
and they say that the hay is a primary source of combustion in wood barns and the primary source for fire. So having your hay stored somewhere else and maybe bringing one or two bales into the barn that are separated with some good ventilation on their side, not flat like we normally pick them up with the strings on the top. They need to be on their side so the ventilation goes through the flakes of the hay and allows for good um, ventilation of the hay and not uh, increasing combustion by stacking them next to each other. You can bring a couple in at a time to hay for that morning or that day or for a couple days, depending on the size of your barn. But I would not recommend storing your hay in your barn because of the possibility of fire. Some of your insurance policies will probably have a rider on that, and you probably need to look into that. And I have a quick question on the um, security of feedstuffs. Um, here in Lexington, Kentucky, it is a very, very common practice, I would say, 80% of the barns, um, when they set up feed on in the evening feed, they set up the morning feed by put it, pouring it into a little canvas sack. And then they hang the canvas sack on the front of each stall door. And I had not come across that. Apparently it's very common in, in large commercial breeding operations, um, both here in Lexington and other places. Um, have you, as a veterinarian, ever come across issues where, okay, somebody gets loose and goes and eats um, enough grain to feed 35 broodmares in one night? Not out of the canvas sack, no. Getting in they, the feed, they, they just feed hang room in the front. And doing, yeah, getting in the feed room and doing the tub, yes, but not out of a canvas sack. The other thing is wheelbarrows. They're common. They pour the, in boarding barns especially, they pour the entire bag of grain in a wheelbarrow and they wheel it up and down the barn and toss it into the feed tubs. Those collect here in the summertime a lot of flies on top of that grain, especially right, if there's right. a little molasses in it, and I find that to be a uh, non-hygienic way of right. storing your grain and, and dividing it out. Right. And if, if I could add slightly more detail to um, Christy's comment on stacking your hay, if you get green hay that's been freshly harvested from the field and not already aged in a mow, you not only should be putting it on the side so the strings aren't down, you need to put it on the cut side, which means, because each bale has a fold side and a cut side, yeah. and you want to put it on the cut side down because that really does maximize um, the appropriate amount of air circulation between the bales because the bales, when they come from the field to the storage area for the first um, 14 to 30 days, that's when the high risk of combustion is because that's when the bale heats and cures for real. So when you get your hay in, folks, if you don't know the difference between, between a cut side and a folded side on your bale, Ask your hey dude. He'll tell you. <laughs> Absolutely. Good point. <laughs> good, well, and that's good. pretty evident, too. Um, we have some friends down the street from us. They, ironically, their farm is called Little Kentucky. And um, <laughs> they actually, because they stored their hay away from their barn, they have a huge hay shed. I mean, they have 50 horses there. And they had their hay shed on the opposite side of the barn, which I'm sure is a pain for the guys that work there to, you know, lug the hay back and forth. But they had, they were out of town and had a combustion fire and lost every bale of hay. But you know what? Because it was far enough away, they didn't have one single horse injury on the whole thing and that's why it's so important to not store your hay in your barn and it seems such an easy thing to do to stick it up in the loft store your old blankets up in the loft do not store your hay in there because of things like that you lose all your hay and all your horses right at the same time and it's just a tragic thing that happens so that's very important thanks for stressing that 
Yes, I agree. And one other just quick question about storing hay. Um, is it preferred to store it on pallets to get yes, more air underneath as well? Off the ground is perfect, yes. Even if you put it on the tarp, you don't have the condensation from the ground. Okay. Very good. And uh, we actually have an article that our news editor is working on right now with uh, fire prevention tips, so check that out on thehorse.com the next day or two. Um, last thing I, I have, I think we're probably running a little short on time, but as long as we're talking about feeding horses and hay and whatnot and buckets, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about buckets and hooks for buckets and hay nets versus bags. What's, this, what's the uh, safest way to hang a bucket for a horse? I think a lot of and people don't I, like the can I add in water? <laughs> yes, water. <laughs> No animal, including humans, can live without water. That is the most important thing that the horses should have. So, of course, wintertime you need to keep the buckets unfrozen as best as you can. And in your barn, I am not a fan of automatic waterers unless you have a meter on that water because you don't know in the wintertime how much they decrease drinking out of it. I had automatic waterers in this barn that I purchased for my clinic, and I shut them all off. And I make my employees and myself lug buckets in and out clean them up and be oh, this, this horse husband now just had a heart attack. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Not a fan of them because you can't tell how much they drink, especially if you get a colic. You want to know how much do they drink, and if they were decreasing on their drinking, then you need to look at your feed schedule that day, increase or decrease your grain, watch them a little more closely, that kind of thing. We did that all the time here at the clinic when horses come and go is, did they finish their grain? Great. How much water do they drink the night before or during the day while they're in the stalls? Very, very important to their digestive system. They need that water to help move everything through, the ingestive through their intestinal tract. Um, have a little funny story on that. Went to do an intranasal vaccine on a horse with a very nice automatic water in the stall. Horse backed up, sat on the automatic water, busted it, and we all got showered. So another reason I'm not too big on the automatic waters, too, is they cause the leaks and can flood your stalls, that kind of thing. Yeah. Now, the uh, barn where I grew up had automatic waters as well, and one of the things that I found is that, uh, aside from not knowing how much the horse drank, is that it was very, very easy just to completely ignore them because they were just sitting off in the corner of the stall and keeping the horse water and doing their own thing. I found it was very easy to not clean them often enough. Absolutely. you find that as well? Yes. Yes, I'll find mold rings around them easier than I will buckets. Yeah, Christy, I'll tell you what, though, I've been in a lot of barns where they don't clean their buckets either. So I think that that goes back <laughs> well, to person cool. more than... <laughs> yeah, well, nobody's well, heard me. I know where Christy wants to go with the, with the buckets, and I'd like to address that. Uh, the edges of the buckets, especially the ones you buy from the feed store, have little rubber tips on them. They come that way. Those rubber tips tend to fall off. And at the beginning, those rubber tips are good because they protect the face of a horse. When they fall off, the horse tends to rub their face on something in the stall. They'll pick that, and you get a torn eyelid. Nine times out of ten, when I get torn eyelids, it's from a bucket. So I tell those people that lose the tips on the buckets, and we've had it as a owner recommendation out of my practice consistently, is get some electrical tape, get duct tape, and tape it up if you can't buy the tips to put on those bucket handles. Um, when you're hanging the buckets, they're usually a double hook. Face the latch part towards the wall. Don't have it facing out. That's just another raised surface for the horse to rub their face on and hook it on something and cause uh, damage to their face. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that, can, that makes sense. 
Well, guys, we are plane running out of time. This has been, you know, it's always fun. We do shows sometimes uh, with barn builders on building barns, and they talk about air ventilation and everything. And I'm always amazed at how popular those shows are. So I'm glad you talked about this today. Because, you know, if you're a backyard horse owner and you don't have much exposure, you don't chat with a whole lot of people, you don't know whether you're doing it right or not. So it's it's times like this when, when you go, oh, hey, we always stored our hay in the barn. You know, and I know that we were risking, you know, we were risking it too, but we lived in Pennsylvania. We had a bank barn. That's what you did. You know, it's kind of what you did. Um, so that, I think that was all good advice. Well, there you go. You can find lots more tips on topics ranging from barn care to websites for horse people at horsetipdaily.com. Just look for the topics drop down menu on the left. And if you love listening to the Horses in the Morning gang, putting in their two cents on everything horse, Along with fascinating interviews from around the equestrian world, you can tune in every morning at horsesinthemorning.com. Don't forget to support our sponsors here on Horse Tip Daily because they really do make these podcasts possible. Today's podcast has been brought to you through the generous support of Fleeceworks. Ask for Fleeceworks saddle pads and accessories at your local tack and feed store, or you can visit them online at fleeceworks.com. And now, woohoo! You can have all of your favorite Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go by downloading our free Horse Radio Network app for iPhone and Android. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily. (laughs) 